And so today, as we get started, we're going to be jumping into a series uh, that we started last week entitled Unshakable. Unshakable. I want to start off by simply reiterating some, uh, some points from last week, just to kind of give you some context if you missed it, or just to refresh your memory. But I want to simply start off by making this statement, and I'm going to qualify it with Scripture, that you and I, that you were built to last. You were built to last. See, the surety of a building's ability to stand is dependent upon the foundation that's, that it's laid upon, right? And so if it's a weak or it's a defective uh, or, or there's a crack or there's some type of flaw in that foundation, no matter how good the building appears, no matter how, to, to what great extent you go to beautify and, and, and doll it up just the way you want it, it will crumble. It will not last. And our lives are pretty much just the same way. See, if the foundation we build our lives upon is, weak, is a weak one, our lives will eventually falter. Now, I got a really dumb question to ask, right? It's dumb because it, it goes without saying. Anybody here want a life that's just crumbling? Oh, good, I'm in the right place today. Oh, praise God, I'm in the right room. Good. So let, let, let's turn to Scripture and let's look a little bit of, uh, at what we're talking about. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. Luke chapter 6. Verses 46 through 49. And these are the words of Jesus. And I want you to keep in mind that Jesus is talking to a people that aren't really listening to what he's got to say. Right? Scripture tells us why. It says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I'm here to tell you today that if you are a child of God, if you are born anew in Christ, you have a rock-solid foundation. You have a rock-solid foundation. I get it. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes, you know, you get hit with more than one thing, and, you, you, you know, maybe you, 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 you're just kind of wondering, oh, why me? Why, God? You might even be wondering, you might even question, God, why are you doing this to me? Well, I got news for you. The storms that come aren't sent by God. God is a good God. Now, I know that there's some examples that we have in the Old Testament, but guess what? They were under the law. And that was justice in those days, because that's what the law called for. But under the new covenant, under Christ, he's already overcome all that. We're now under the grace of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance, that leads a man to turn to him. God's not a child abuser. But the truth is that storms come. Trials and tribulations come. Oh, well, what about when people say if it's God's will, then they don't know what God's will is. They don't know what God's will is. Got to look at scripture. But I want you to notice something about verse 48, which we just read. Notice what verse 48 says. Can we put up verse 48? It says, he is like a man building a house. Now, in verse 47, Jesus says, I want to show you what the man is like that listens to my words and does them. And he likens him to a man who builds a house, a man who digs deep. What's the point with that? The point is simply this, that it's up to you and I to build. God gives us the truth. God gives us his word. 
God gives us his promises. His word begins to enlighten us and show us certain things about our lives, about the decisions we might be making, about the mindsets that we've adopted, about how we're approaching things. And what the word of God does is it enlightens us. Today my prayer is simply this. Not that you get wowed by some cool scripture or some cool analogy or something. I'm not, I, my hope is not that you leave here impressed by anything that we do, but that you leave with the word of God impressed upon your heart. Because the rock that you build on, the rock that Jesus is talking about is the revelation that he is the son of God and what he accomplished for all mankind. It's the gospel. It's truth. And so in verse 48, he likens the man that's wise. He calls him a wise builder. The man that listens and does what he says, he says is one that builds upon the foundation of the rock. And as we learned last week, in order to have the promise of an unshakable faith, an unshakable life, we must follow the example of the man that builds his home upon the rock. The example that Christ uh, gives us. And so we learned last week that we must do three things, and we see it in Scripture. We must come to Jesus. We must come to him. We must hear his sayings. And that's not talking about audibly just hearing his word. I'm not talking about you just playing some scripture in your car. Listen, that's good and that's valuable. But if you're not allowing that to impact your belief, if that's not changing the way this mind is conditioned, and above that, if we're not, the next one is we're to do something with his sayings. If we're not doing something with it, then guess what? It's good information. It's just not good for you. It's not good for us. How many of us know that truth works best when we do something with it? Right? Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. But you, you have to know the truth, but then there's the part where it sets you free. But if you don't know what the word says, you can't apply it. You can't do anything with it. So we have to do what he says. You might think, well, what if that doesn't work? I'm so glad you asked. Maybe it's because you don't know what you've received. Maybe it's because we don't have an understanding of what this rock is, what the truth is. Maybe it's because we're tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds of doctrine and the, and, and the news media and this person says this. And you know, this person says that in their experience with God and this person says that the market and this person says and Fox News says this and CNN says this and my mother says this and Juanita who hangs at the window says that. And we go by all these things when we should stick to the truth. See, here's one thing about a wise builder. No wise builder builds a home on an unstable foundation. It just won't. They're building houses out by where I live, and, you know, we're talking about moving because it's about to get really crowded. They're about to throw another 30-something houses in our neighborhood, and I'm like, no, it's just not going to work. So we'll be moving at some point, but they're building these houses, these houses, but every morning I walk by there with my dog, and, I, and, I, and with my dogs, and I, I'll, I'll Take a moment to stop, and my dog, Riley, he'll just stop, and he'll just look at the builders and, and all that, and we'll watch and everything. But one thing that I, I notice is how much time and attention they put, the care with, that they dedicate to the foundation of those houses. They've even got these instruments that they use to check how much moisture is in it and if it's going to crack and all, all kinds of stuff. Because if the foundation cracks, if the foundation's no good, the building won't stand. And here's what Jesus is pointing us to, a foundation. But the truth is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to build upon it? Last week I asked this question, what are you building? See, if we're looking to God to build our life, then guess what? That doesn't involve faith. How could you say that? You're looking to God. You're looking to God, but you're not responding to God's truth. We must do something with this truth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Version, says this. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Watch this. We've received the kingdom. And here's the response. 
Here's what we do in light of the kingdom that we have. We show gratitude, Scripture says. We offer to God pleasing service. In other words, we, we act according in response to the truth of His will, of what His Word says. We're doing something with the kingdom we've received. And so the Bible says that we show gratitude. We're thankful for it. We appreciate it. We value it. We esteem it. We offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. See, we have a sure foundation in Christ. Believer, if you are a child of God today, if you have accepted Christ, you are standing on firm ground. Why are you shaking? If the shoe fits, change it. Why are you shaking? Why are you moved by that phone call, by that text message? Why are you moved by that person? Why are you moved by your fears of the past? Why are you moved? You know, it's interesting, and this has nothing to do with my nose, so this is free. Somebody needs to hear this. But it's interesting how sometimes we'll look towards the future and we'll say, yeah, but in the past, it didn't work out. Before, it didn't work this. Can I ask you something? How many of you work in your life to plan your past? It doesn't make sense. So why are we looking to the past when Scripture says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. God's looking ahead. Why are you looking behind? Why are you shaken by something that has nothing to do where God is calling you towards? With everything else crumbling around you, you can rest assured that you'll remain standing in the end in Christ. You might feel the wind blow. You might see the waves loom overhead. But that does not mean that you are down, nor does it mean that you are out. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. When all else fails, Christ doesn't. When all else fails, Christ does not. He does not. He cannot. He will not. He won't fail you. He is always there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 in the Amplified Bible says this. This hope, this confident assurance we have, listen closely, as an anchor of the soul. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, the most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells, where Jesus has entered in advance as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a mouthful. Here's simply what it's saying. Christ has already gone before God. He's, he's removed every barrier. He's gone before you and I, and so now we have access to God. And because we have complete access to God, here's what it says. We have hope. And that hope is an anchor in your life. That hope keeps you held on firmly to God. You, it, you might get pulled a certain way. You might feel something. But God is faithful and hope in Christ does not fail. It doesn't fail. It will not fail. Christ is our sure foundation and our hope in him serves as an anchor. And you know what? It anchors your very heart, your very mind. Faith has nothing to do with what you feel. Faith has nothing to do with what you see. Faith has everything to do with whom you're anchored to. Think of it this way. Just like you never, you never really see the anchor take hold of the bottom of the ocean. You don't. They drop the anchor, and guess what? They let the anchor drop, and, and, it get, and, and they, they, they have whatever gadgets, and they know how far down and on, but they drop it, and once they drop it, here's what they rest assured upon. We ain't moving. Hello? Somebody needs to hear that today. You don't have to see it. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to know it. In, 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 in your mental faculties, you don't have to go by, what, by, what, by, by your emotions. Listen, we may not see Christ, but we can rest assured of the hope that we have in him that it does not fail. Amen. It anchors us. Amen. Here's today's big idea. Here's what I want to point you towards. Everything from this point forward, 
will simply support this statement. You are anchored in Christ. Now, I know for some of us, maybe we're thinking, man, but you know, but this is going on and that is going on. Don't you know that even a ship, when it's anchored, the storms may come, but it's not moving? It might get pulled, it might shake a little bit, but it's not moving. That's what that anchor is there for. And I want you to begin to see your relationship with Christ and Christ in your life as an anchor. You're anchored in Christ. Reminds me of a story in 1979. Uh, there was a tugboat named the Cahaba, which was headed down the Toomingbee River in Alabama. And the current was flowing fast as the tug's pilot approached the bridge that was coming ahead and released his coal barges. And so what was happening was this, that as this boat was approaching this, this, uh, this uh, bridge, and what was interesting, they were way ahead of their time, they had cameras on the sides of this bridge. It was one of those bridges that's supposed to come up and you know, open up, draw bridges, I guess, supposed to open up, whatever, for the tugboats. So they have pictures of the, of the actual incident. And so as this boat was approaching this bridge, current is too strong. And so what they do is immediately they take all the coal on the ship, on the tugboat, and they begin to dump it. So that that way they can navigate more easily. But what happens is that the pilot then put his 1,800 horsepower twin engines after dumping all this coal into reverse to get away from the bridge. But when the boat moved slightly offline... The current swung the boat sideways and it slammed into the bridge. And as it slammed into the bridge, something interesting happened. The current was so strong that it forced the boat under the water, under the bridge. To the astonishment of those that were looking at the, uh, witnessing this situation that day, uh, the boat popped up upright with the engine still going and the pilot at the wheel on the other side of the bridge. And the question was, why did it come back to the surface in an upright position? And it, here's the reason why. Because it was ballasted. It was given stability with three feet of cement on the bottom of that ship. And so because of that cement that was built into that bottom, what it did was instead of pulling the ship down, it redirected, course-corrected the ship to its proper state. So when it came back up onto the other side of the, of the bridge, it popped back uh, right up. It's a vivid reminder that life can go horribly wrong. That storms can come, that you can slam into things at times. But know this, because Christ is your anchor, he's not pulling you down. He's lifting you back up. He's lifting you up. He always is lifting us up. He doesn't sink us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 says this. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. See, that's why this scripture tells us that because Christ is our foundation, he's our cornerstone, we're growing. There are things happening in your life right now that you aren't even aware of. There is change happening on the outside, and there's a renewal happening on the inside. There are things that are transforming in this understanding of yours. Stick with the process. Trust in Christ and in Christ alone. I know that at times you'll want to give up. I know that you may have your moments where you have your questions. You might find yourself there. It doesn't mean that everyone is. But maybe you might find yourself there at times. Hold fast. I like a version, a portion of scripture says hope that we, we should hold fast our confession of faith. You know what hold fast means? 
Don't let go. Stick with it. Stick with it. Don't let it go. It's producing something. So you might not see it. It might not make sense. But things are happening on the inside of you. And things are changing on the outside of you. And it all has to do with the anchor of your soul, your mind, your heart, your life. So for the next couple of moments that I have here with you, I want to give you a biblical example of what it means to remain anchored in Christ. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I'll give you a chance to get there if you're following us with your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you can check us out on the screen. If you need a Bible, you'd like one. Our ushers can gladly give you one. We've always got extra Bibles. But in Mark chapter 4, we're going to read reading verses 35 through 41. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version just because I like the way it expounds it a little bit more. It gives uh, some, some uh, clearer uh, understanding of the original meaning of the uh, Greek here. But in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40, uh, 41, we find Jesus after a day of ministering with his disciples. And let's, so let's pick up what happens after this day. It says, on the same day... When evening had come, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So leaving the crowd, they took him with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And a fierce windstorm began to blow. And waves were breaking over the boat, so that, so that it was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern. Uh, asleep with his head on the sailor's leather cushion. It's like a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are about to die? And he got up and he sternly rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. In other words, be muzzled. And the wind died down as if it had grown weary. And there was at once a great calm, a perfect peacefulness. Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith and confidence in me? They were filled with great fear and said to each other, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, at this point, at this juncture where we're at in scripture, the disciples have been with Jesus for some time already. And they've witnessed much in their travels with him. Let me give you a few examples chronologically according to the New Testament. I know some of you, you read your Bible and you think that chapter 1 is what happened first and chapter 2, well, that's not necessarily true. Each writer has written according to his, his experience, his understanding, his view. Matthew wants to highlight certain things more. John uh, uh, reveals Christ, you know, uh, as love and all that. So there's different uh, perspectives that they're coming from when they write this all-inspired God. It gives us a bigger picture, a fuller picture. But up until this point, chronologically, here's what's happened. Two paralyzed men have, re have received their ability to walk. And this is just noting what the scriptures show, right? One man uh, missing a portion of his arm has it restored. In other words, the Bible uh, refers to it as his hand was shriveled. It, he, he, it was shortened, right? And Jesus on the Sabbath commands that his hand be restored and his hand grows. To, to, to the full extent, right? A woman with the flow of blood for over 12 years suddenly had it cease at just touching the hem of his garment. A dead girl is raised after Jesus clears the room of doubting men. A centurion servant is healed of a fatal sickness at the mere words of Jesus' command. And a deaf and blind, a, a deaf and blind demon-possessed man is delivered of demonic oppression and healed. Not to mention that Scripture says that there were many others that he healed and that he, he, he set free from demonic oppression. So Jesus has done a lot. I have a question for you all in light of that. If you were there and had witnessed all these amazing things, would you have confidence and hope in Christ? Would you? I mean, think about it. You see all this stuff. He professes to be the Christ, the very Son of God. You witness this man's hand grow back. You witness the dead raised, the paralyzed walking. You witness the authority with which he brings the word. Would you have hope in him? Would you put your trust in him? Yeah, I, 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 th I think you would. I think I would too. 
But those that had been there didn't. They didn't. This story reveals that. And the question is why? See, many of the disciples were seasoned fishermen. And on this particular day, they get in a boat with Jesus. And they know that they're going into the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, Galilee is notorious because of the mountains and the hills and, and the valley that it's in. It's notorious for fierce storms, even to this day. Because the winds would sweep in and it, and, and it would trap these pockets of hot air and here's what it would create, these huge storms. Some, some theologians theorized that this was a nor'easter that hit when they were in the sea. No matter what it was, the disciples got in a boat with Jesus and the intention was we're all going to the other side. We're going to get in this boat together and we're going to get past this sea to the other side together. And so while on their boat, a familiar occurrence happens. They've seen storms before. They know what this is about. They're seasoned. They know how to handle it. They've been through storms before. But something interesting happens when this storm hits. A fierce windstorm occurs and waves begin to overtake their boat. And we know that this was a really bad storm because... The, the, new, uh, the uh, Amplified Version puts it this way, that the boat became swamped. In other words, it was filled with water and it was filling fast. And so these guys begin to panic. Fear sets in. And what initially started as a boat ride with a goal of everyone crossing the sea together quickly became a every man for himself situation. I know it sounds like when they woke Jesus up, they were saying, don't you care that all of us are perishing? <laughs> no. Don't you care that I'm about to die here? Right? And it's, it's, so I want you to mentally, to, to visually invest yourself in this scripture for a moment. Because what's puzzling is that while this is all going on, Jesus is asleep. He's asleep. Now, I used to think when I used to read this in times past that Jesus brought his own pillow, right? Because the Bible says there's certain versions that say that he was sleeping on a pillow. But after further investigation and, you know, learning a little bit more about the boats of those days, they, in the stern, they had what they called a sailor's cushion. And that cushion was made out of leather. And it was stuffed with some sort of material Give him a little something softer instead of just sitting on wood, right? And so Jesus is in the stern, and he's laying on this cushion. He's got his head there, and he's asleep. Mind you, this storm is fierce. We don't know if it was a nor'easter, but if it was, I mean, what Scripture tells us fits the description. Whatever the case, the winds are blowing. It's a fierce storm. There's water coming in. These guys are panicking. Everybody's worried about dying now. Right? And Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping. It kind of makes you think, what's Jesus doing in this story? Man, maybe he was really tired, you know? Maybe it's been a long day. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe he had earplugs on. Maybe he was just in a deep, deep, deep sleep. Whatever the case is, Jesus was asleep in the midst of a storm. And mind you, there's water in the boat. And he's still asleep. These guys are shouting, everybody's panicking. And Jesus is sleeping. And the Bible tells us in Mark 38, if we could, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, if we could put that up. It says that Jesus was in the stern, asleep with his head on the sailor's leather cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher! Do you not care that we're about to perish? If you're mentally invested at this point in this story, you're probably seeing yourself in this situation. You're probably thinking, shoot, I would be too. I, I'd be doing that. Jesus, levántate, mijo. We, 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 you know, get up. We can't. What, what, what are we doing here? We're about to die here, right? 
You're probably thinking, what's wrong with their reaction? It's a natural reaction. The truth is when fear storms hit in life, listen. Maybe your child is just rebelling right now. Maybe things are a little crazy at work. Maybe, maybe you, you know, some relationships, they're trying to figure some things out, trying to work some things out, work through some things. Maybe, maybe you know, it's a loss of a job. Maybe your home situation has changed. Whatever it is, something's going on. Or maybe it's not. Praise God, either way. Right? But at this point, it's possible that anyone can react like the disciples. Anyone can. But what if I told you that it's also possible to react like Jesus. What do I mean by that? That you can rest in the midst of storms. The storms of life. And that you can face them head on. That you don't have to be shaken. That you don't have to move. You don't have to be, live, you don't have to be living in panic. You don't have to be dominated by fear and anxiety. You don't have to be rocked by the winds and waves that batter against you in the midst of you standing in faith. See, the reason why these disciples became fearful and fretful was because they forgot a few things. The words of Jesus before they got in the boat. I want, to, I want us to look at that. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 35. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, what? Let us go over to the other side. Now, mind you, they're in the ship with Jesus. Jesus. The one that when a centurion came, panic, he says, my servant is very ill, is about to die. The centurion says to him, the story goes, the centurion says to him, but I'm a man of authority. I understand how it works. I tell my soldiers, go, and they go, and I tell them, come, and they come, they do what I tell them. He says, Master, you don't even have to go to my house. Just give the command. Just say it. And I know it's done. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus marveled. And he said that there is, that he hasn't seen faith like that amongst the people of Israel. And the Bible says, gives us the, the privilege of knowing what happens when the centurion goes back home. He goes back home and he walks in and he said, servants well. And he asks, around what time did the servant begin to recuperate? And the Bible clearly tells us that it was at the same time that Jesus made the mention when he said, according to your faith, so be it. And so why am I sharing that with you? Why am I pointing you to that? Because it's that Jesus. The Jesus that the Bible says that he was there, at cre that nothing was formed in creation but by him, through him. The one that the Bible says that he was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That one. The one that calmed the winds and the waves and the storms. The one that called the dead to rise. The one that said to a person who had no arm for there to be an arm. That Jesus says, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so here comes the storm, and here come the waves, and, and the ship is taking all this water, and they begin to freak out. And what's my point with this? They forgot what Jesus had said. We're going to the other side. And I want you to consider this wherever you're at in life. Whether you're in a storm, you've been in a storm, or you'll face a storm, and you will face a storm at some point. It's guaranteed. Tribulations will come. Trouble will come. God ain't sending it, but you will have to face it. And how you face it will determine whether you sink or you rise to the occasion. What you believe. See, they'd forgotten what Jesus said in the beginning. We're going to the other side. Isn't that any wonder that Jesus was sleeping? Even if the boat sank, I, I, I believe that they would have walked the rest of the way over. Whatever it was, but they were going to the other side. They were going to the other side. He said it. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. I want you to see something from Scripture. It says this, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen. You know what that means? So be it. 
If God said it, don't question if it's true. The answer is yes. And when it talks about in him, it's amen. It's in him, it's done. It's a done deal. That's my promise to you. And so scripture tells us for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Listen, through us. Whoa. So there's a promise. But guess how that promise works. And guess who it works through. Hello. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, that's you. That's me. I'm telling you. It's through us. Verse 21 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God. That word established there means to be firmly rooted, planted. Immovable, unshakable. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Chew on that. Listen, God's promises are true. And here's what you and I can bank on. What he's declared has sealed us. And the guarantee that we have, that we, it's signed, sealed, delivered, protected. It's a done deal. It's, it's declared by God. Is that he lives in you today, his spirit. And so here the storms come. And we act like we don't have a raincoat on. We forget that he's sealed us. You know that, that in the Greek, that word sealed there speaks of an airtight situation? In other words, it's impenetrable. There's nothing that can corrupt it, that can change it. The Bible itself says that we are born of incorruptible seed. In other words, Christ in you can't be destroyed. It can't be corrupted. It can't decay. And so when storms come, you must remember what God's word declares. Because if you forget it, then you will find yourself, we will find ourselves just like the disciples, fretting and fearful, living in panic. If that was God's will for our lives, then here's how this story would turn out. Jesus would have left them to sink and he would have kept walking. But that's not what we see. Not at all. See, God's promises are true. They're true. And when Jesus said, we're going to the other side, ladies and gentlemen, he meant it. He meant it. You know, that should encourage us as it pertains to the word. I know that some of you, maybe you've grown up in church and you've been told, you got to read the word, you got to read the word, you got to read the word. And I disagree with that. You got to know the word. You got to do more than just simply read it. You've got to come to know the author of that word. I can't do that for you. She can't do that for you. He can't do that for you. Prophet such and such. What, I don't care who it is. Nobody can do that for you. Now, can I give you, can, can we share the word with you in a way that, that compels you to understand it, to have some more clarity? Sure, but what do you do with it when you leave from here? What are you doing during the week? How are you spending your time? which is valuable. You only get one shot at this thing called life right here. You get one shot. Make it count. And you've got a new beginning in Christ. Make it count. Believe it or not, right now, we're in a room full of millionaires. Some of you just looked over your shoulder and said, really, where, where are they? Where, where, where? I'd like to meet them. You don't know what you got in Christ. That's why scripture says that the wise man, the one that hears his sayings and does them, he likens them to a builder. Watch this. Who dug deep. I was sharing that last week. That we got to get past the surface level fluffy stuff. We got to get past the, 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 the fake stuff. 
we, we got to get past facades. Really. When I came to Christ, I was a mess and I was not embarrassed about it. This is who I am. Bucket mouth and all. But I just wanted to know Christ. See, I grew up knowing what pastor said and being told that that was gospel. If pastor said it, that's doctrine. I can't tell you how many times I was on disciplina growing up. Discipline. All the time. All the time. Say, hijo de Rosa, that's Rosa's son. Put him on discipline. But it was religion. There was no relationship there. There was no knowing Christ. And these disciples, we know something else about them. Put, put up the last verse in, in Luke chapter, in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I want to show you something. It says that they were filled with great fear. This is after he told the wind and the waves to calm down and all that, right? It says, and they looked at each other and they said to themselves, listen, who then is this? All this time they'd been with Jesus. All this time they'd seen the great miracles. They were there when Jesus said, if you don't believe the words that I'm saying, at least believe on the account of the miracles, of the wonders that I'm performing. They'd been there. They'd seen it all. They broke bread with him. They ate with him. They slept with him. They walked with him. They overcame various trials with them. All these things they'd done with Christ. And here they are asking themselves, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves. See, the problem was this. They did not know who they were amongst. They didn't know the one that walked with them. And that is to the detriment of the body of Christ today. We believe in Christ, but we don't know what we believe. That's dangerous ground. That's like building with sand. Kids play with sand. Kids build with sand. The mature build on a rock. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. Build upon the rock. Because whether you know it or not, you're already anchored. What God has done in you, it's done. You are a child of God. Now starts the process of you discovering who you are in Christ. And what God has anointed you and appointed you to do. What God has destined for you to, to, to do in this life. How God has called you to raise your children. How God has called you to impact this world, your community. How God has called you to be a light, a difference, the salt of the earth. The light of the world. The process of Christianity from the point of salvation forward is all about discovering what you already got. They didn't know who he was. And for certain, they didn't know the promise. We're going to the other side. Second point I want to point out to you from this story is this, that they forgot that Jesus was present in the boat. I know it doesn't seem that way, but while the storm was raging, the disciples' faith took a wrong turn. They forgot who was with them. They forgot. They completely forgot. They forgot that this was Christ. The promised Son of God, God with men. Emmanuel, God with us. They forgot that. And the moment they forgot that, guess what? The storm and the waves became bigger than Jesus in their life. Psalm 84, 11. I'm going to read from the Amplified. says this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows grace and favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now for some of you, here's what you heard when you heard that scripture. See, it depends on how I'm walking my life. Don't you know that scripture declares that you've been declared the righteousness of God? You can't get more right with God than you are because of Christ. There's nothing that you can do to add to how right you are with God. You can't. Because if you could, then you should have been on the cross. 
You can't. You cannot add. You can walk rightly according to the righteousness in you. And you can deviate from that. But the Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, no width, no length. Scripture declares that what Jesus Christ did for you and I was once and for all. He's not being crucified again for you. He did it once. And when you accepted it, guess what, baby? It's signed, sealed, delivered in you. It's done. You might feel wrong. You might even do wrong. But that doesn't mean that you are any less a child of God. That does not mean that you are any less holy in his eyes. Because his holiness is dependent upon Christ in you. That's why Paul says, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Paul the murderer. Paul the persecutor of the church. Paul the one who was the chief sinners of all is what he calls himself in scripture. That Paul, that Paul was completely right with God. That Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And that Paul declares, according to what, not what he heard from men, but what he received from Christ, you are righteous. You are righteous in Christ. Amen. Says that no good thing will he hold, he will, will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, let me just give you the flip side of that coin. You can, if you begin to walk according to what is contradictory to this truth, you still got all that's good from God. You're just not accessing it. God's got nothing to do with that at that point. You, you did that. We, did, we do that, right? But my point is this, that in the midst of storms, the sun is always shining. He's always shining. And guess what? He's always shielding you. While they're in this ship and the storms and the, the, the winds and the waves and all that's happening, Christ is asleep. He didn't check out. He said, we're going to the other side. And he meant it. The third point that I want to leave you with here today is this. That the disciples were unaware of the purpose that lay ahead of them. And we didn't read this part of the story purposely. But if you do some research in Matthew chapter 9 and 10, it picks up at the point when they get to the other side. And it tells us that upon arriving to the other side, that Jesus asserts his authority before the religious teachers of the time. They're questioning him. They're testing him. And immediately when they get to the other side, Jesus heals another paralyzed man and raises another girl from the dead and heals some blind men, two blind men. But then in Matthew chapter 10, it tells us the purpose of getting to the other side. It tells us why they, got, they were going to the other side. What was at the other side that was meant for them to experience, to discover? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. I want you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says this. After he's asserted his authority, after he's performed all these miracles, after he's done all this, after getting to the other side, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, tells us that he gathers the, the disciples to himself. Verse 1 says, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Listen, today we're established in Christ and we're anchored by his presence in our lives for the purpose of introducing the world to his plan of redemption for all mankind. You know what the disciples failed to realize? That while, they was, while the storm was raging and the wind was blowing and everything was going crazy and they're being rocked back and forth, that the anchor was there the whole time. That Christ was there. They forgot that. They forgot that. And in the midst of this, Jesus had a purpose in getting them to the other side. Because it was on the other side that he now says to them, all the things that I've done, 
Now you go do them. The example that I've given you. Now you go do it. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus wakes up and he says to them, what's the problem here? He says, when? Stop. Whatever it was he says, right? But the Bible says that he sternly rebuked the wind. I don't know what that sounded like. But whatever he said, the wind stopped blowing. And then he turns to the waves and he tells them, be stilled, be quiet, be muzzled. In other words, shut your mouth. That's, that's what the Greek translates as that, to muzzle. That's what, it, that's, that's what it's actually saying. He says, shut your mouth, stop, cease. And it says that the, that the, the waves became peaceful. That all of a sudden, everything became normal. Here's what we know. That at that very point, everything that was a cause for them to be in a lack of peace, to be anxious, to be afraid, stopped. Why? Because all of a sudden, they became aware of the one that was there. You're anchored in Christ, ladies and gentlemen. You're anchored in Christ. It might get a little windy at times. It might get a little rocky. But don't be moved. Don't you move to the left or to the right. Don't you become unsettled. Jesus said this. My peace I give you. My peace I leave you. I don't give you peace like the world does. The Bible describes that peace as a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that peace guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so, look to your left. Look to your right. And realize you're still standing. You're anchored in Christ. They got to the other side. And the Bible gives us clear example in the Gospels. That from that point forward, they went and they cast out demons. They laid hands on the sick and they were recovered. These guys began to walk in an authority. And you might go, well, that's the disciples. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why that word still exists till this day. There's a reason why you and I are reading it today. Because that's God's word to you as well. God has authorized you to live life as more than a conqueror. To rise above the wind and the waves. To live beyond the threshold, the power of the storm that it can have upon you.